Yeah, good morning. Hey, of all the slides in the new video this month, I love the one that says Nineveh repents. Nineveh repents, and that's what God is calling um, for us. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, my cup runs over. Um, I just have to say thank you again to the worship team. They did a great job. Can we give them a round of applause? I'm telling you. Uh, you know, when, it's kind of like, you know how they always say that the church is built on its youth? And uh, you understand, I think the oldest guy up here, Blake, how are you? I think the oldest guy up here was 33 years old. Isn't that great? A praise team of, yeah, come on, do it again. Do it again. Yeah. I mean, we prayed for this and we talked about it, how our young people are stepping up. And really not just our young, young people, but also our young couples are stepping up. We have two Bible studies going on Wednesday night led by our young couples. It's just pretty, pretty incredible. And I'm also overwhelmed today. Thank you for all of you who expressed your condolences for us and the loss of my nephew. Um, he was just two days shy of his 43rd birthday. And uh, he leaves behind a wonderful family. And we'll be leaving as soon as church is over. I'm going to swing by and get Judy, and we're going to head south after church. And so some of you expressed your condolences and your prayers, and we certainly appreciate that. Um, the service is going to be um, tomorrow about noon, 1 o'clock. And so uh, I appreciate very much you praying for us um, there. And I am excited today about starting this new series. You know, the bottom line, I guess you could say, in case you didn't know, your pastor's old school. Um, I love America. I love America. I, don't, I gave my mom and dad ingrained that in me. I don't particularly know what happened. Uh, my dad did not serve in the military, though he worked on uh, military aircraft uh, for 21 years. And, um, but it was instilled in me to just love America. And then my 12 years in the Air Force um, solidified all of that. And uh, I just love America. And, um, and I found out something, maybe perhaps something you need to know, is that some people think that in order for you to love something, that something has to be perfect. I'm very grateful that's not true because none of us are perfect, and yet God loves us. Amen? And so, so when I say I love America, I don't love everything about America. I know America is really struggling right now, and uh, that's why this series. We're going to take the whole month and talk about um, America and God. And, and if you're looking for a rah-rah nationalistic sermon, you probably aren't going to get that. But what you are going to get is like different approaches. Like today we're in Psalm um, uh, 34, you know, where, you know, you know, you know righteousness exalts a nation, um, but sin is reproached to any people. Next week, we're in Psalm 33, where it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And then the third week, we're in Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And then, in a surprising turn of events, we're going to spend the last two weeks... Um, and that's where it says never repents. We're going to look at the reluctant prophet. Because I, sometimes I think the church today is that reluctant prophecy. We see so much wrong in our culture that we just almost want to turn our back on it. And that's, of course, the wrong thing to do. And that's what, that's what uh, you know, Jonah did. But then that, that big, big thing that Nineveh repented. And I want you to know something. I personally believe um, that, that God can bring national revival. I think, but it hinges on and it starts with us. And that's why you've got to be prepared for several weeks of, hey, it's in our lap. It's in our lap. It's on us. And so we've got to um, be willing uh, to do that. Okay? So our sermon series um, is entitled, well, first it started out, can, and I had can in brackets. I said, can God bless America? 
And it stayed there for about five days or so. Um, and then I said, well, maybe, you know, God can do anything. So maybe that's not a good title. So I changed it to, will God bless America? And I said, aha, uh, that's, that's, that's more insightful, I believe. And it stayed there for about four or five days. And then we ended up with what we have now. And what we have is can, and in brackets, we have can slash will God bless America. And I think that's very good and very appropriate. It, it addresses two big things. It addresses our part, and it also addresses God's part. The, the can part is our part. You know, we, if we want God to bless America again, and by bless, I mean for him to be glorified. Um, if we want to see God do a great movement in our country, it begins with our repentance. It, it ends with the repentance of the nation, but it starts with the repentance of God's people, God's people. So we, if we want God to bless America, you know, can he? Yes, if we put ourselves in a position for him to do that, and that begins with our personal repentance, and then hopefully leading to national repentance. And that leads us to the will part. And the bottom line is this, you know, God is God, and, and God is sovereign. And will God bless America? You know, we can have a national revival, and, um, and still God choose um, for a different role for America. Um, you know, like I just mentioned, my nephew was just two days shy of 43 years old. It all started with an earache back last fall. And the doctors, one of those times the doctor said, you know, if you're going to have cancer, this is the kind to have. It's just a real high cure rate. And it just went downhill from there. And just a few short months, he's gone. And, and, and I'm left, you know, and we're left going, God, why? I mean, you, there's no doubt you could have healed John. Uh, and he did. He just didn't do it in the way we wanted. We wanted to keep John here with us, and, and that was not to be. Um, but he's no less God. He's no less God. So what will God do in America? Well, that's God's business, and he's sovereign, and he will. And he will do what he's going to do. So can, will, God bless America? Now, I need to be honest with you. I came up with this this morning. Actually, I wrote it in one of the last things. It didn't even get highlighted on the sheet. That's how hot off the press it was. But how did we get where we are today? Um, again, I was raised, and again, I'm old school. Um, I was raised in elementary school where every day we said the Lord's Prayer, and every day we sang some kind of patriotic song, um, and we always said the Pledge of Allegiance. And I know in some classes they've held on to the the Pledge of Allegiance, but we've lost those other two things. And, um, you know, I've watched society and culture change dramatically, and particularly in the last few years, few months, we've seen it change. And so, so how did that happen? Um, and, and frankly, I think, again, um, some of the blame lies at the feet of the church, at the church. And here's what I wrote. I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but, you know, I wrote down and said... While the church was busy being religious, the culture was busy losing its, I'm sorry, the nation was busy losing its soul. While the, while the church was busy being religious, the nation was busy losing its soul. And I think that's really a lot what happened. We lost, our, we lost our passion for what really matters, and that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, did I appreciate what Trace said um, at the end there because it's so, it's so true. So, so here we are then. We find ourselves, you know, what's the root of the problem? What, what's the root? And, and the root is, again, it's, it's the people's, it's the culture's choice 
to disobey God, but it's the church's choice not to be the evangelistic, passionate, gospel-centric, we-love-Jesus body that God has called us to be. And, and what we've ended up with, I wrote, I wrote these two things down. Number one is our debt load. Now, I know this, see this, you think, when I mentioned the national debt, you know, um, you said, what's that got to do with God? Well, actually, a lot with America and God. Um, but our debt load is out of control. And, and we're in danger of losing our independence. Okay? And you say, well, now, exactly again, how does that fit in? Well, um, Proverbs, um, let me find it here just a second here. Proverbs 22.7 says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And our debt load is so large, we can't even count the zeros anymore. It's beyond whatever we can imagine. And we're, we're going to pass it on to our, if, if Jesus tarries, we're going to pass it on to our children. And the sad part is it's going, it could cost us our independence. Because when you're that much in debt, then you all of a sudden become a slave to the lenders. And of which one, I, know this, I can't believe I'm saying this this morning, but you know, one is China. One is China. You know, we owe China so much money. That's dangerous. It's dangerous because we could lose our independence um, over it. But not only is our debt load out of control, um, but our sin load is out of control. Our sin load is out of control. And, and that, that is a reflection of our lack of dependence on God. Um, I know, again, in so many circles, God is, God is out of vogue. Um, but I want you to, I'll show you this morning. I just think that's not fair and certainly is not right. It's not fair, um, and it's not right. Um, and, the, and the center of that is our pride, our pride. Um, I think sometimes we think that God owes America something. You know, God don't owe us anything. Um, I, I re- I'm so grateful to be born an American um, because um, I could have been born in 1954. I could have been born in post-World War II Germany, and my life had been totally different. I could have been married in, or buried or born in uh, England. Post World War II England, and my life had been totally different. I could have been born in a small village on one of those islands in Lake Victoria, and my life would have been totally different. But God, in His sovereignty, put me and allowed me to be born um, in this great, great country called um, America. Called America. So, so, so that, that part is huge. But it's easy to get proud. I never, by the way, I figure I'm the guy that's got to drive six to seven hours today, so I can talk as long as I want. Okay? Um, yeah, so I, when we went to Africa the first time, we, were in, we stopped over in uh, Casablanca. Casablanca. And so we were wanting a cup of coffee. So all we had was German, do- uh, German dollars. Where are these words coming from? American dollars. And so, um, so we walked down, and there's this little cafe thing. You know, we could tell us, you know, they were serving coffee. And so um, we pulled out our little American dollars, you know, and um, we held it up to the guy and said, You take dollars? Like, you know, everybody takes dollars. And he goes, the man didn't know what a dollar was. And yet in my brain, everybody knows what a dollar is. And that's that can be that nationalistic pride, you know, that we got to be so careful of. You know, the Bible says in uh, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. When we get too big for our pants, we're setting ourselves up for destruction. That's true for a people, a person, but it's also true for a people. Um, haughtiness goes before a fall, a fall. 
So, so that's, I think that's where we, got, where we got. We were busy doing religious stuff and not the gospel stuff. And, and then the country, you know, we, we're slowly sold our soul um, to the world. Um, and then we got real prideful about it. We got real prideful about it. But here's the good news. The good news is John chapter 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I want you to know with all my heart, I believe that God's not done. Good place for an amen. You know, I believe in my heart, God is not done, and the truth can set us free. And, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so, yeah, so, so I want you to know there's hope today. This is a hope-filled day, not a hopeless day, and we know that the truth can set us free. And then he said a little, little bit later, a couple of verses, in John chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son sets you free, if the Son sets you free, you can be free indeed. Now, I love this because I know you get tired of this. I really know you do. Uh, but I want you to know it's important that I teach you this, okay? And that is this. The sun will set you free, not your Baptist business, not your denominationalism, not your ability to keep rules. The sun will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, then you can be free indeed. So, so what about America? So what about the coming months? What about the coming years? What about the election next year? What about beyond that? Well, uh, these are dangerous days. These are dangerous days. Um, it was Abraham Lincoln um, who said, you know, America will never be destroyed from the outside. America. Now, keep in mind, he was president when? During the Civil War. Okay, so America will never be destroyed from the outside if we falter and lose our freedoms. And he's again, civil war. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. And the greatest fear is, is that we self-consume. Um, you know, not, not the Russian bear and not the China or whatever they are. Okay, um, but, but the, we will self-consume inside. You know... Jesus said, and it's recorded in Luke, it's recorded in Mark, it's recorded in Matthew, then here's what Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand, cannot stand. And when we are constantly divided, okay, we cannot stand. And church, would you listen to me? That is true for us too. You, some people asked how the Southern Baptist Convent, when there were parts of it that were awesome, and the parts of it that made me very sad, made me very sad. Because I see this division, this division coming in the Southern Baptist Convention. I see divisions in church, and I certainly see division in our, in our uh, country. Um, that's that's so, so obvious and so apparent. And by the way, you know, Abraham Lincoln said the same thing. A house divided against itself cannot stand. But I think it's kind of cool um, that Jesus came up with it first. And so... And our, our key verse is Proverbs 14.34. Proverbs 14.34. And it says, this is the first part. And it says, now listen, righteousness exalts a nation. Now notice, first off, this is not a direct reference to Israel. Okay? It's a blanket statement. It's not a promise. It's a principle. But it says, righteousness exalts a nation. So when a nation chooses to be righteous, then that nation is exalted, okay? The second part, we'll get to in just a few moments, says this. But sin is a disgrace to any people, to any people. 
So we got these, these balancing, we got this big scale here, and the choices and, and that we're making, you know, one, we can allow righteous to exist in our, our culture and in our lives, and we'll be exalted, or, or we can choose sin, um, and it will be a disgrace. Um, y'all might be familiar with Patrick Henry. Okay, now by the way, so I, I feel like I got all these disclosures out. I'm aware acutely that not every founding father was perfect, but again, that's okay because none of us were either, all right? But there were some really great men and great Christians uh, among our founding fathers, and Patrick Henry um, was one of those. He's the guy who said, give me liberty or give me death. Okay, that's the guy who said that. Well, he also said this, and it's just so rich in truth. He said, righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. Now, first off, I feel like I need to help him just a little bit, because just because a nation does good, I think God's word, when it said righteousness, it's bigger than just doing good. And that's why I put positional and practical. Positional righteousness, we're going to talk about in just a moment, is something we get from God, and practical righteousness is the way that we live. Okay, so I think it's both those. Righteousness alone can exalt America's nation. And I kind of push back and I go, now, come on, Mr. Henry, don't get nationalistic on me. Don't get, you know, don't get about America. He wasn't doing that at all. You know, he's quoting, don't you? Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. That's what he said. Righteousness alone can can exalt America as a nation. I mean, he's so spot on with the scripture. And then it gets even better. Then he says, whoever you are. So if you happen to be the president of the United States, if you happen to be the governor of the state that we live in, if you happen to be the mayor or on the council, or you just might be Joe down the board, down the street, whoever you are. You know, Joe down the street. Hey, whoever you are, remember this. Remember what? Righteousness exalts a nation. So tomorrow when you wake up and you need something to pray for for our nation, Father, I learned yesterday from your word, Father, that your righteousness exalts a nation. Father, help us become a righteous nation again. Again. So so remember this. Pin that into the bulletin board of your heart. Whoever you are, remember this. And in your world, practice it. He used the word sphere, and I figured that was the nowadays word, so we put world in there. So in your world, practice it. In other words, so if we want, if we know that righteousness exalts a nation, then what we need to do as Jesus people is to live righteously. That's not better than thou. That's right living according to God's word. The church has got to start living what the Bible teaches That is practically speaking. That's relationally speaking. Okay? Listen, the world don't care about your religion. But it would care deeply about your relationship and how it impacts and changes your life, your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. So he says, in your sphere then... Practice that. Practice that, that righteousness. Practice, practice it so that, you know, again, this nation can be exalted. Can you imagine what would happen if all of God's people, all the stars started living like Jesus? What an impact. What an impact. But then he goes a little bit, wrong, uh, Matthew 8, 28, 18, 19 on us. He goes a little bit of the Great Commission and encourage it in others. So you're to practice it, and then you're to encourage others where you are to live righteously. 
Go into all the world, make disciples. Go across the street, make disciples. Go downtown City Hall, make disciples. So, so Patrick Henry, boy, he said a lot here, and all of it is good. All of it is good. So you might be going, okay, Dwayne, what exactly is righteousness? Well, again, it really, in its simplest form, it's right living. Now, right living being right living. Right living. You know, again, this book's been around for 4,000 years. It never had a major revision. Very few minor revisions. I mean, it stood the test of time. It's a book that you and I um, can trust, okay? But, but what does this righteousness look like? Well, we, first off, we look at one of my favorite scriptures, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. And I like this because I can just see, imagine you're a Jewish person and you've been raised all your life to keep the rules. And boy, you really try. And then there's these people and their job is to be good. They get up in the morning, hi, hon, see you this evening, I'm going to be good. That's the scribes and the Pharisees, okay? Uh, it was all about keeping the rules, okay? But here's what Jesus says. He comes along and says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses, it's greater, it's bigger, it's more perfect than that of the professional religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of God. What? Say what? Well, it's all hopeless. Let's go home. The light's calling us. I mean, if you've got to be better than the professional guys, you know, what hope is there for us? And believe me, there's a culture out there that's wondering the same thing. You know, I, I can't keep the rules. I, I can't be good enough to be a Christian. In fact, some people, when you tell them about the Lord, and you'll go, well, you know, I, I'd be a Christian, but I'm just not good enough. None of us are. None of us are. So what's the answer? It's what Trey told us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21. This one you need to write down. Look at this. He, God, made the one, Jesus. He made Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us. Do you understand that? This is good, this is good doctrine to know. All right, he's hanging on the cross, okay? And he's taking on himself every sin of every person from, from the, first, the first one that was born or created to the to last one that is born, okay? He's there on the cross, and the wrath of God is being poured out on him as payment for that sin. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay? He dreaded, he dreaded the cross for the physical agony because he was human, but he also dreaded it more than that because you know, God in the flesh was going to become sin. And so God turns his back on him. God turns out the lights. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, why, why would God do that? Okay, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, through him, because of him, not your good works, not your ability to keep the rules, not because you've been baptized, not because you're a Baptist, not because you go to church, not because you give money, not because you feed the homeless. Okay? So that in him, in Jesus, because of Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the answer. That is the answer. It's the answer for you individually. One of our young people trusted Jesus at Super Summer and became a follower of Christ. What happened to her? She became righteous because of what Jesus did. If you're here today and you follow Jesus, that's why you're righteous. Not because you do good stuff, 
but because he was good and he gave you his righteousness. And that's the hope for America. Okay? America does not need our religion. We've got plenty of churches and we've got bunches of religion. But you know what they need? They need Jesus. And they need for us to live Jesus out. They need for us to live Jesus out. So let's move to our teaching point now that sets that all up. Okay? If, first of all, people would go, Dwayne, you are living on another planet if you really believe what you wrote. Well, that's why I put the word honestly in there. You know, if I just said few can argue against the benefits of being, believing in God and obeying his word. You know, they go, you don't know the culture you live in. There's a whole lot of people who argue with you about that. But what about honestly? Think about, again, think about people you know who are genuinely following Jesus. You know, their life is purposeful and better. Not better like they're wealthy or better they never get sick, but life is better. Life is better. And I really think if we, if we showed them this, they might believe it. If we showed them a genuine faith and Jesus Christ being lived out in our lives, I think the statement would be true. How can you argue with that? You know, how can you argue you know, with the, the Jesus' teachings of love for God and others? And you know what I love about this? Guess what? In the culture that Jesus lived in, two groups were constantly marginalized. Guess who they were? Women and children. If you were born a woman, bad shake, bad deal. If you are born a child, bad deal, bad deal. In both those groups, they fared better, much better, under the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is, if we genuinely follow the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, it has the power to change us and our culture. And I think people are looking for, you know, one reason why we're out there doing all this crazy stuff is they're looking for answers. And the answer is what? Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Not religion, not church. The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, how does that start? How does that start? I'm trying to tie this together. How does it start? Well, it starts with, it starts with the secret sauce. The secret sauce. Um, Good, Eli. I throw that sucker up there. You know, the secret sauce for successful godly living. So, so how do you... Okay, Dwayne, you're telling us that this is kind of on us. We need to live out Jesus more um, so culture will have something they can really honestly believe in. How does that happen? Well, it happens with the secret sauce. And what's the secret sauce? It's, um, it is submission and resistance. Submission being a total dependence on God. A total submission to God. It's coming to terms and grips and saying, Hey, God! I know something. You're God and I'm not. You're God and I'm not. Submission. And resistance. Resistance. Resisting the devil. Resisting the urge to do what is not righteous, which is unrighteous. So, so then if it's then with, submitting to God and his resistant devil. His strength and our resolve. Now, you know his strength refers to God, not the devil. His strength and our resolve make a powerful combination. So, so how do we impact culture? We do it by submitting to God and resisting the devil. Now, here's the crazy thing. Don't lose track of this. People are watching. People are watching. And they need to see something that, that religion's not. They need to see something that, that you know, keeping the rules is not. And that something is believing and submitting to God and then resisting the devil. Having power over Satan 
through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. All right? So, that leads us to James chapter 4. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he, he taught me this. In James chapter 4, verse number 7 and 8. Go ahead, Eli. Um, there we go. Um, Therefore, submit to God. This is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He's going to flee from you. Okay? Resist the devil if you're on you. There's victory number one. Then, then draw near to God. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to be drawing near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's practical. Okay? And purify your hearts, you double-minded. So these, that will make our lives more attractive to a world out there who desperately needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our second part, okay, righteousness exalts a nation, but you really need to understand this because we, th- we tend to think sin's not a big deal, okay? All right. Well, the second part of our verse, 1434, um, says that sin is a disgrace to any people. Okay, now that's true. That's true. You need to see it this morning, first off, individually. So when you're blatantly, as a Jesus follower, if you're living in blatant sin, that's a disgrace for you. But nationally is true, too. Okay, that's the context of the verse. Nationally, sin is a disgrace to any people. All right, so let's look at our teaching point. What does that mean? Okay, when a nation, when a people chooses to walk a path that excludes God, okay, that, can, that decision can only result in a long and downward spiral. That's what we've seen. We have seen um, over the decades, the last few decades, we've seen an exclusion of God, okay? Uh, not religion, but an exclusion of God, and that's put us on a downward spiral. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death, Okay? And I'll guarantee you, in culture today, people go, well, this is the right way. This is the right way. Well, it seems right. But then, you know, Solomon comes along and says, no, that's not true. Um, that is, in fact, the way of death, okay? Now, Galatians, these, are, these last three scriptures, we're almost done. These last three scriptures or so are, are direct and to the point about our lives. I mean, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, okay? Now, um, first off, don't be misled you cannot mock the justice of God, okay? Now, you can choose not to believe in God. That's your choice. I understand that if you're on Facebook, maybe listen on the radio. I don't believe in God, okay? It's funny. There are very few atheists at the point of death. There are some, um, but, but not that many. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You can't mock the wisdom of God. Now, sitting right back there with a blue shirt on, it looks like, is a guy named Danny Evans. And Chris it might be back there. Is Chris back there somewhere? Yeah, there you are. Hi, Chris. Okay, that's our two resident farmers. There might be more, but they're my go-to guys. Okay? Now, they'll verify this. You always harvest what you plant. You always harvest what you plant. Okay? So, so if they plant corn, guys, am I right? You have full expectation that if there's going to be a harvest, it will be tomatoes. No, it will be corn. And if you're going to plant beans, you're going to get beans, okay? So any farmer will tell you how wise this is. You will always harvest what you plant. I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to go a step further. Not only do you harvest what you plant, you harvest more than you plant. And it's true with sin. It's true with sin. You plant a sin, and you're going to get more than you planted. Uh, May I say it this way? More than you bargained for. When you bargain for. I remember one day I was riding a tractor with Chris, 
and we're doing corn. And uh, I'm not something I do all the time, um, but did that day. And so I said, I said to Chris, I said, Chris, how many ears of corn are on each stock? Now, in my brain, I'm thinking you want as many ears as possible. So I would have like 37 ears of corn on one stock, okay? But guess what he told me? He said, Dwayne, there's one. I went, what? One? He goes, yeah. What's the deal? I said, here's the deal. They want that stock to put all the energy into one ear because one super good ear is better than five anemic ears, okay? So you put one, when this happens, you put that one seed, that one kernel of corn in the ground, and you get back, I don't know how many, corn, I don't know how many kernels are on a, a cob, but certainly dozens and dozens, okay? You always get what you, har- what you plant, and you harvest more than you plant. And it's true with the farm, but it's also true with sin. You always harvest what you plant. That's good for you to know. It's good for our nation to know. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desire will harvest decay. That's what we're seeing in culture today. Now, I know I'm old school, okay, but that's what we're seeing today. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But the good news is, it's not too late. It's not too late. Uh, Romans 1.28 says this. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them. He turned them over to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. You know, and this is written to the Roman. You remember Rome. You know, Rome doesn't exist because Rome went ballistic, crazy, Okay. And this was written to the Roman church. And, and they, they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. And so he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do whatever they wanted to do. And that led to, to verse 32. Okay. They knew God's justice. Verse 32. Uh, Eli there. Um, they, they know God's justice requires that those who do such things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Or she had to encourage others to do that. How crazy. How crazy is that? So what's our final teaching point? Our final teaching point is this. Dwayne, how, how can national revival occur in America? And by the way, let me, let me say this. I don't think there's an example in the Bible, and Nineveh is a perfect example. There, you know, God had said to Nineveh, you're going to die. And then here comes the preacher he delivers the message, and they repent, and God changes his mind. God changes his mind. I don't think there's an instance of a nation that turned to God, and God said, no. There's not an example of that. What I'm trying to tell you is, God would love to send national revival in America. God would love to send national revival in America. But the answer to this sin dilemma is the gospel. The gospel. Look what I put. And completely lived out in mass by its followers. The, we, we, we set the table. We fertilize the ground for God to do a great movement when we choose to live out the gospel in our lives. And that's not just, well, I ain't going to drink beer because you know, or I'm not going to do this because you know. I'm talking about this amazing thing, this thing called the love of Christ. 
how powerful it is. You know, when, when, people, when people see you loving them for no apparent reason, you love them. That's what Jesus did. Woman, where are your accusers? There aren't any, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. I love these things. You know, he called a tax collector, the most hated sinner of all, and said, hey, you want to be part of the inner circle? I mean, over and over and over again, Jesus picked the outcast, the, the, the disenfranchised, the marginal people of the world, and says, y'all come. And the church has got to be ready to say, y'all come. Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We've got to be Jesus to this culture we live in. Marginal Christianity is anemic to change the course of our nation. You know, they say the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again, expect different results. Whatever we're doing to change the culture is not working. I think it's time we do something different. I think it's time we do what God says. I think it's time we live out Jesus in mass, in force. Let them see this life changing crazy. But have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered how this small group of people called the first church, the early church, changed the world? Changed their known world? Guess how they did it? They showed the love of Jesus. They show, I told you this illustration. I'm talking way too long. It's on my dime. But I love it. The Black Plague was sweeping. Romans were leaving the cities and fleeing to the hills, leaving their sick and dying relatives to their own fate. Guess who didn't run? The Christians. They stayed and cared for their enemies. And Josephus later recorded how that, it was amazing. People are amazed how that the Christians would not run, but they stayed and cared. I wonder if it had anything to do with Constantine in the year 300 converting to Christianity. They saw the power of Christian love. That's what the world needs to see. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, and he also says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want you to know this. Individually and as a people. If we're willing to confess our sin, that means to agree with God. If we're willing to agree with God for our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. God's not done. He's just waiting on us to confess and repent and fertilize the ground for national revival. Can God bless America? The first thing we need to do is put ourselves in a position to where he can. To where he can. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you so much for your patience. Um, boy, I appreciate that so much. And we're going to have our final song. And this is our invitation song. And the altar's open if you'd like to come and pray. I know there's a certain young lady here who wants to make a decision this morning. That's awesome. But there's someone else here. God spoke to your heart today. Maybe God spoke to you about, about your family. Maybe God spoke to you about our country. And you want to come and pray. Um, anything we can do is exactly what we want um, to do. This is your time to respond to God's word. So, Father, thank you for that privilege and that honor.
going to pray, Lord, now that you'll speak to our hearts. Father, would you, would you glue this? Would you cement this truth in our hearts? Father, you've got a plan for our country. And I just know you would love to send national revival. I know you would. Father, you'd love to see people in mass coming to you. I pray for that, Lord. But Father, we've got to do our part. Help us to be willing to confess our sin and turn from our sin. Help us to be willing to love like Jesus. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen.